Hi, I'm Jason Bradford. I'm Asher Miller. And I'm Rob Dietz. Welcome to Crazy Town, where Mad Max looks like a documentary. This episode was originally recorded on December 18th, 2019, before we knew much about the coronavirus outbreak. Rather than adding new material here, we decided that we'll release a full episode soon about the effects of the virus on communities, the economy, and the environment. So please stay tuned. Hey guys, uh, I could use some help dealing with some uh, emotions that are creeping up. It's kind of complex. Are you, are you ready to... You ready to work with me here? Yeah, you can cry on my shoulder anytime uh, you want, Jason. What are emotions? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's hard because you, you hear something about the world and it just sometimes it just like hits you and it shocks you. And you're like, I have this sort of sense of like nostalgia and loss and also awe and disgust. And well, let me just, I just tell you what happened. Yeah, you forgot snark. That's my favorite emotion. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm counting on you to bring that, bring out here, okay? Okay. So this professional colleague of my wife has this daughter, and she's got some serious... Wait, wait, that's confusing. This colleague of a person who was your wife... No, no, she's my wife right now. dog's daughter? No, it's, it's, okay. So <laughs> someone, my, someone you someone know. Someone you know. <laughs> I know her a little bit, but she works with my wife, and her daughter... Not my wife's daughter. I don't have a daughter. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, so th- this, this, like... <laughs> This this young lady, she's like twelve or thirteen, and my wife finds out this, that your wife's colleague is twelve or thirteen. No, her daughter. <laughs> okay. But my wife's colleague and her daughter and her husband and sometimes her other kids go <laughs> go to like Arizona or Southern California like almost every weekend and like for the winter because she's got softball chops. And they're thinking, you know, she's using like... What are softball chops? In other words, she's really good at this sport called softball. Okay. And they're thinking she could go to college and get a scholarship. And wait, because So she's, what? Wait. So they're going to Arizona every weekend? Yes. Or, or Southern California. There's these tournaments. So you can sign oh. up. I looked this up. You can sign up. You live in Oregon. Or you can... There's, there's, these, there's these leagues. They're called travel leagues. These elite yeah. travel leagues. And you can sign up and they're age, usually age bracketed. So if you're 12 years old, you can sign up for this... Oregon Travel League team, but their expectation is that you and probably your family, because you're only like you're like preteen, maybe, are going to travel, get on an airplane every damn weekend, so your family can watch you play like three softball games. So it's like it's like my son is in a travel league for soccer, but that's basically just this area, Willamette Valley. He might go up to Portland or something like that. Right. This is the this is that on. Steroids. Yes. And so instead of in a car, you're getting on an airplane. Yes. And so I think back to my own youth where I had played Little League, whatever, you know, and wrestled. And yeah, it would just be, it would all be in that area. And you'd play kids you knew from school. But now you're playing kids from like Indiana and yeah. Florida and New York. So they're all flying in from they're all all flying over the in place from all to over. Arizona or Southern California. Yes. And this is a thing, apparently. And so. It's hard now even to become a an athlete that does multiple sports. It's like everyone's specializing, and then there's expecting you to fly everywhere, and your family's spending thousands and thousands of dollars. It's only for the the financially privileged. Yes, you, you have to be that. financially privileged to begin with, but then it's sold as like we'll get your kid a scholarship maybe if they're good. But of course, what are the odds? And why don't you save college money for college? But it's this new cultural thing that just whacked me that I didn't even know yeah, was going on. If you think about it too, if your kid's good at sports and you're you're the dad and you don't 
have them traveling and doing this, then you're just a big jerk. I know. It's it's this conundrum. Or you're a jerk we're, anyway. Right. I mean, well, in our case, sure. But, <laughs> but we're rat we're just we're burning these precious hydrocarbons so our hopefully our kids can get a higher education, right? And it's just it just it, it just the extreme travel of our culture is what hit me and how different it is now from when I was a kid. Well Yeah, I mean that is that is different and it's it's pretty crazy. But you know, step back and look at professional sports, oh, right. right? Like <laughs> think the about the travel, and the- travel associated with that, you right. know, like the teams flying everywhere. I was thinking about that. You look at the the um, the playoffs in all these sports, mm-hmm. and to make it fair, they go back and forth constantly. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. so they're not going to do if it's a seven game series, they're not going to do four games in a chunk at the home no. the no. the team that with advantage, and then three games. No, they'll go back and forth and back and forth. Yeah. You know, that's just a, a small example of that. And of course, fans travel. Oh yeah, to go see their teams, like San Diego, the football team. You know, there are no San Diego that, Charger fans. That is not a football team anymore. <laughs> well, it was, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and they they basically only have travel fans who come in to watch their team play. So, like, Pittsburgh Steelers fans or whatever <laughs> will come in to watch those games. Yeah. The most crazy example I just realized was, uh, or just that I thought was ironic, was, you know, a lot of airlines actually sponsor teams. Yes. Like uh, Real Madrid, which is this huge soccer team, they they were having Madrid, Spain, Madrid, Spain. Yes, yes. thank you. Not we're Americans. Ma- we have to. We have to really put not it in Madrid, context. Ohio. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Madrid, Spain. Yeah. Right. And happened to be that the twenty fifth COP meeting, the big climate meeting, was was being held in Spain. Okay. In right? Madrid. Yeah. At the same time, so the the Real Madrid team decided that they were going to show their their support mm. by changing their team colors. They were wearing green jerseys. Oh, so thank, thank, thank them. The climate climate-friendly soccer team. Oh, right. Yeah. The, Solidarity. The irony is their sponsor is Emirate Airlines, right? So they're... they're you got oh, fly Emirates, uh, you know, on their on their green washed, you know, jerseys, <laughs> in solidarity hell? with COP twenty five. I just want to cry. You see? Well, that, yeah, it's common. I mean, uh, I'm, I have to admit, I'm a Portland Timbers fan, and I searched far and wide for a nice green Timbers jersey that I could wear uh, that didn't have the sponsor, which of course is Alaska Airlines. <laughs> right. And if you go on their website, right, and you say, okay, I want to get tickets to a Timbers game. The home games are highlighted, but then they they Alaska Airlines is the away game. So you know if you click on that, I think I haven't oh, clicked they, on they one. They take you to take you to the Alaska Airlines website get and get you ticket. a ticket. Yeah, yeah. Nice. make it really easy. And they'll get, they'll let people who wear uh, timber shirts board on a plane early. Oh, nice. Uh, of uh, course, who who wants to get on the plane early? Like. Uh, I really want my people flight to want, be longer. People who want to shove their huge oversized bag in, in the overhead compartment. Filled with Alaska Airlines t-shirts. Yeah. But guys, you know, of course, sports is just one easy example of this crazy extreme travel culture we live in, right? And I so I started digging into the travel and tourism industry. I had like, how big is this now, right? How, how important is this? And according to the World Travel and Tourism Council, global travel and tourism industry is now over 10% of global GDP 
and 10% of jobs worldwide. So, so basically wow. a tenth of the economy. The global economy. Tourism yes. and tourism. travel. And travel. So this could be yeah. business travel or, you know, not just tourism, but the whole industry, you know, writ large is now right. 10% of jobs and income. And most of that has got to be air airline travel, right? Yeah, airlines are huge, of course. You know, it, it gets you places that you never could have gotten to before in, in, a, in a timely manner. It's just, it's incredible. So this growth in, in travel is now 3.9% a year. So that's that means it expects to double in 18 years, right? Yeah, let's let's hearken back to that. We talked a lot about growth in our in our first season and there's this great rule of thumb like if you know the percentage at which something's growing, in this mm-hmm. case 3.9%, you take that 3.9 and divide it into 70 and yeah. that gives you how many years till till doubling time. Yeah. And so what did you say the doubling time 18 on 18 years. So in 18 years, we'll have twice as many uh, business travelers in their uh, million mile club and hanging out in the penthouse of the Hilton downtown. Yeah. And so like, for example, there's about 23,000 commercial airplanes. So, you know, 737s or whatever, 747s. No, I don't Air like buses. to fly commercial. I like to take my own Your private, private, jet. private sure. jets. Yeah. yeah. yeah whatever. You add these all, but they're supposed to double, right? And so now in 18 or 20 years, it's going to be like 46,000. Just incredible, the, the doubling. Well, and, and, and you're right. It's, I mean, it, you could see tourism in particular growing, international tourism growing. Here I am, uh, Mr. Hypocrite, very much part of this. <laughs> yes. you know. Last summer, my family went abroad. We went to, to Turkey amongst a couple Dude, other places. That's in Eurasia, right? Yeah. yeah. Do you, okay. do you want to keep talking to him anymore? I mean, that's disgusting. I know. I, it's it is awful. All right. Well, let's just see where this. You know, I'll, I'll give you lots of excuses for why we went. Right. But um, <laughs> we weren't. We went to Turkey, and we went to an area called Cappadocia, which is sort of in the middle of the country. It's, it's this incredible geological. Uh, these incredible geological formations, hmm. um, where they have these basically these hollowed out spires and canyons, and people who live there created these caves or yeah. these under, under like tough caves. tuft geology or something like that and they they in fact it was the early christians they hid there mm-hmm. um from the romans they they fled and they hid there and they in some cases lived underground as many as twenty thousand people underground for months at a time really amazing place i want to yeah. see that but the tourism has just exploded in that area in a relatively short period of time you know, and now uh, it's it's kind of like it's an area that's been subsisting on agriculture for a long time and was pretty poor. And now they have all these hotels that are being built and people creating these cave, you know, yeah. cave lodges and all kinds of things and tour companies and hot air balloon rides and all this stuff. And they're kind of re- reeling from the impact of this because it's totally yeah. changing the culture. Young people are actually moving in to get these jobs. It's sort of the only thing that they could do. And they're trying to figure out how to deal with, you know, a lot of them don't speak any English, but they're also dealing with now a huge amount of Chinese tourists right. coming in. You yeah. know? So like on the one hand, it seems like there's all this economic opportunity for them. They're becoming sort of dependent on it, but it's really changing the, the way that they live. And some people are even getting priced out of being able to live in, in this area that's yeah. been a traditional part of their families for, for generations and, and generations. And there's a true kind of trampling impact as well. I remember uh, years ago reading an article about loving our parks to death, the mm-hmm. national parks right. in the U.S., and how yeah. beaten up they're getting by having this many 
people unload each summer or you know each uh, main tourist season and yeah. same obviously happens with with the big boats you know the cruises that yeah. unload in small areas and suddenly the city just drops off a boat incredible impact yeah and you know so here's my excuse for why I was there right like my father moved to Israel a few years ago and he really wanted us to come see him you know his his grandkids to come to come to Israel and, and my wife and I decided you know, this is probably, I mean, this might, will be the only chance that they'll have in their life to go, right. you know? And so if we're going to take this trip, we're going to make the most of it. So we decided we would also go to Turkey when we're over there. And it's a tough thing. I mean, it's like, it, in some ways, you know, we're doing sort of this last chance tourism or last chance travel. Yes. It wasn't, in that case, I was going to, to go to these places that might be gone because of climate change. But there are a lot of people doing that. Yes. There's actually kind of a, a budding new industry of people going to places like the Great Barrier Reef. You uh-huh. know, or, Swim the reef before it bleaches yeah, out. Or right. go, go see glaciers before they disappear, you know? Uh, and right. so there, you're in a sense, you're, you're in, in doing this because you're worried about climate change and you're aware of what's happening. You're basically hastening it by yeah. participating. Yeah, in I'm, hoping, <sighs> I'm hoping to get in the uh, Arctic sea ice and go polar bear back riding. That's... Uh, that's, I re- that's a good tourist opportunity. I remember being like an undergrad and having this conservation biologist, Dan Jansen, and he was in Costa Rica, and I got to see him give a talk to this community. This is called Monte Verde, and now it's it's a cloud forest preserve and all this, and it's become kind of famous, but it was a sleepy little place when I was there. Mm-hmm. And then I went back 20 years later, and Dan Jansen had predicted this and encouraged the adoption of this sort of ecotourism thing. Mm. And so it's led to, of course, all this potential preservation. But now the place is really amazing how many hotels there are and how many like jeeps and guided tours you can have and zip lining. Costa Rica is really dependent on tourism. It's really dependent. Yeah, you know. And then there's these stats coming about light pollution. So all these insects are dying. And so there's this conundrum of it, how conservation-minded is all this stuff. Yeah, right? I mean, that this is a tough one, and you got to really go back to some systems thinking, because if you didn't have the conservation and the dollars that come in from the tourism, then you, you know, the habitat itself could be lost, right? People might say, oh, I have no, no economic opportunity, therefore I'm going to do subsistence farming in this, yeah. uh, Make in this rainforest. I'm going to just cut it down, or, so it's a, it's a, yeah, I don't know. It's such a tricky issue. There's no way to say really, like tease out what is the overall effect, or is the is the conservation having too big of unintended consequences, or is it, you know, is it actually protecting an area that would have otherwise been lost? Yeah, you know, I think honestly, I think for the most part, people aren't even thinking about this at all, right? They just it's so easy just to get on a plane. They want to go see the world. It's so easy and relatively inexpensive to do it. There is starting no. to be. Some backlash, you yeah. know, and, and uh, you know, this whole concept of flight shaming. I think there is even now new new words in some languages for this. You know, Greta Thunberg, uh, the, the young Swedish climate activist, she came to the United States and she decided to take a sailboat across because yeah. she won't fly. And mm-hmm. I think that that, I mean, we probably all know people, I certainly know people who made a vow not to fly at all. So it's, rare. Yeah. Uh but people have been doing it but I think partly because of the the example that she set this is becoming kind of this sort of new new concept, you know, yeah. and and people are wrestling with flight shaming. And I think the industry is starting to feel that. 
Oh, totally. I think, you know, the industry is reacting to flight shaming by doing what the standard practice, okay? This is this this is what you greenwash. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's perfect. So, in uh, effect, I when when we stop doing this podcast cuz nobody's listening to it anymore. Okay. That's what I'm going to go into. Greenwashing. I'm, I'm going to become a greenwashing consultant. Yeah. Oh, you you're you'd be so good at it. Yeah. You know, I'm going to fly know. all around the world. Yeah. And consult with these businesses to to tell them how to look like they are taking action. Right. Without actually doing it. Well, I, I know I told you guys, and we, we aired it season one, my conversation with the Alaska Airlines sustainability chief. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. Remember that? So she was uh, telling me that she's working to, you know, make Alaska Airlines, I keep talking about Alaska <laughs> Airlines, more uh, more sustainable. <laughs> Their stock is going up right, right now. Yeah. So they, uh, she was happy because they had just gotten rid of styrofoam coffee cups on their flights. Problem solved. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. it's, a, it's a trouble because... I was looking at these stats. So there's 4 billion passengers a year fly. Okay, that's 11 million people a day. Holy man. And that's 3% of greenhouse gas emissions. All right. And in every given moment of time, there's about 10,000 planes in the air, commercial planes. 10,000. Yeah. But what's amazing. You say that's 3% of greenhouse gas emissions. But did you know that, that international air travel is not accounted for at all in any of the national greenhouse gas inventories. So, like, very convenient. No country actually claims. No, it's not mine. Not mine. (laughs) Not mine. I don't. I didn't do it. (laughs) But the airlines are sensitive to this, and part of the reason is because only twenty percent of people alive today have ever stepped on an airplane. But if you look at sort of the projections for growth, we're talking about of doubling in the next twenty years. Of course, a lot of people, a lot of a lot of you know Chinese consumers, in you know people from India, a lot of South South Asian, they're expected to start getting on planes in more you know massive numbers. And but it's so, interesting. You you said four billion a year, right? Yeah. So and most you say people, only twenty percent have ever been on a plane. Yes. So what that is actually saying is that there are less than half of the people on the planet are flying a lot. Yes, right? a lot. And and I bet it's just like economic inequality. There's the top one percent. They're probably flying constantly. Yes, you know all million the time. Well, it, kind of thing. It's crazy for work. I used to have a boss uh, when I worked at the U.S. Geological Survey, and she flew a lot for meetings. and And I remember her saying she was part of the Million Mile Club. So right. I, you know, she could basically get a free ticket for her private travel anywhere she wanted to go because nice. she had a, over a million a million miles. Yeah. Like, I don't even know what's a million miles like uh, when when I go out for a bike ride. If I go ten miles, I'm like, wow, that was far. Right? Uh, you can't. That's the thing. You cannot travel these distances with any other technology. Right? It's just right. amazing. Now, let me get into the greenwashing detail because it tells us a lot about what the structural physics involved in planes and and, and how they're kind of screwed going forward. So they have. There's pre three primary greenwashing tools they've got. They've got, they can tout efficiency improvements. They can talk about carbon offsets and they can promote biofuels. And it all sort of doesn't really add up. So regarding efficiency, if you think about, think about plane travel like 10, 15 years ago. Oh, when your your knees used to actually fit in the seat. Yes. When you didn't have to pay for every ounce you took on. Oh yeah, yeah. Like uh, on a Legionnaire, you have to pay if you want to breathe. 
Uh, right, oh, exactly. Do you, do you want air on this trip, sir? Sure. Uh, well, the coin-operated toilets have been really <laughs> pissing people off. Bitcoin, <laughs> Bitcoin uh, operated toilets. Yeah. On the, and when on the, the internet connection goes down, oh man, you're, you're just holding it. <laughs> you got to hold it for the whole flight. Yeah. Well, they've actually now they're just putting uh, carbon inserts in the seats, so you, they don't want you to get up <laughs> in yeah. case you have a shart. <laughs> So, They're gonna have the little stadium, uh, stadium pal bags that yeah. you can just strap on, you know, with a catheter. You don't okay, have to get up from your seat. All right, let's stop this. Yeah. Let's move on. Yeah. Move on. Okay, yeah. we're gonna get in trouble. But okay, there's a great term that the um, there's an international uh, civil aviation organization, uh, part of the United Nations, and it's got this statement of intention to achieve. I love this carbon neutral growth. Yeah. <laughs> carbon neutral growth for air travel. Yes. Starting um, in 2021 with 2020 as the baseline. So the first step is to take these magic beans. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So what, what they're going to do, though, is they're going to they, they realize that airlines are never going to have carbon emission growth. But through the trading of emissions units. Ah, right. And declines of CO2 emissions in other sectors. Right. <laughs> so it's like, you go first. You do it. I, I don't think you cut named, you cut named, all your emissions over there, so we can keep yeah. doing what we're doing. We'll pay you exactly. Well, not yeah. keep doing what we're doing. We're going to grow. We're going to grow. Right. Uh, and then the other one was, of course, the biofuels. And and so I, I love this. There, uh, they, there's this press release about there, the airliners who was excited about this nicotine free energy tobacco strain. <laughs> That they what? grew in South Africa, and they they harvest the plants, they refine the biofuel, they blend it into conventional fuel, and several flights in uh, 2016 used it. Wow! Wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, so, so demonstrating the potential of biofuels. And if, if like uh, we allow smoking on planes again, if the if the plane starts running out of fuel, there's all that extra from the cigarettes. <laughs> right. exactly. You just put it right in the tank. <laughs> exactly. But what's crazy is like then they made so. It, there are these gushing press releases, and they're like, yes, biofuel production is 1 billion gallons a year now globally. And uh, it's like, oh, that's 1% of airline use fuel. Well, here. 1 billion sounds like a lot. It then sounds you realize, like a lot. Whoa, okay. Right, right. Well, so, no, nobody ever asked the question, if you start actually scaling that somehow, yeah. uh, what what's the energy return on energy invested? What happens to food if you're using all your land to grow, what is it, nicotine-free tobacco, tobacco fuel? Right. It's, well, like, it's going to cut into the smoking industry. It's oh, sad. That's too bad. That's, that's too bad. <laughs> yeah. But you were saying, you're talking about efficiency. Yeah. And I think we've all experienced what that efficiency looks like in, in the real world, right? They've been cramming us onto flights, you know, making seats smaller, yeah. reducing the number of, of flights that they have. So they're basically overbooking flights constantly. They are charging for every little incidental thing. Any additional weight, you got to yeah. pay extra for. Yeah, I like the way they try to hide the costs too. Like right. you say, buy a ticket for a hundred bucks and then the next thing you know, well, I mean, double that. A common thing now is you buy a ticket, but you don't actually get a seat assignment. You have to pay extra to get right, a seat right, assignment. Right, right. What happens if you don't pay? Do, you, do they give you You're standing in the aisle. room only? <laughs> you you got to just lay in the aisle. I'm going to strap you to the wing, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Step right. this way. But you know, a lot of that is... You know, I don't think it's so much greenwashing as it, as it is the the impact of of fuel costs right. for the airline industry. You know, when when fuel prices, when oil prices went up back in two thousand eight, you know, they peaked then. You're seeing huge amount of shockwaves in the airline industry because that's such a tremendous part of their costs. Yes. You know, they're, and they're so vulnerable to it. So they've been trying to deal with a lot of e efficiency 
implementing efficiency gains to try to reduce that cost or pass on that cost as much as possible, but they're still really, really vulnerable to it. But once you've squeezed all your efficiency out, you don't have you don't have any now resilience. It's sort of this conundrum where getting more efficient actually means you don't have margin for sh- for shocks. It's this irony of efficiency. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So well, when it, prices go up again, how are they going to cope? There's no more efficiency to gain. What strikes me is that it's all about the cheap supply of energy. That's that's how you can have this extreme travel, right? It's just hearkening again back to some of the just basic ideas that we've covered is you have to have this highly dense energy, readily available, relatively cheap, and then we can set up life based on that. Yeah, right? we, we set up this whole infrastructure. The, the world is... We're kind of dependent on it. We're talking about many countries being dependent on tourism or areas, regions being dependent on, on tourism. I think we're all, in a sense, dependent in, on air travel and the ability of, of goods to be, you know... The, the way they say, the, the, the very wealthy in the world right. are, which most, a lot of the U.S. people right. are. Right. So, and Europeans. So, we should say not, only 20% yeah, be, have gone yeah. on a plane. Yeah. The, I'm, we I'm glad you brought that, that up. Yeah. Yeah. So... The three of us and probably many of the people listening you yeah. know, to, to, to this podcast. And you think about it, you know, back to something else we talked about in, in season one. We talked about Marvin Harris's uh, cultural, cultural materialism. materialism. Yeah. So the, uh, the, the theory there is that our structures and, and superstructures in society, that is like our political systems, how we make decisions together, our, uh, our, the- our belief systems, all those things you know, are actually determined by infrastructure. And by infrastructure, he was actually meaning the physical world, mm-hmm. right? The resources we use, not just like bridges and stuff we built, but but the entire physical infrastructure of the world around us. And we tend to to think normally like, oh, we create the world around us based upon our values and 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 the systems we have. And, and his theory is actually the other way around. Yeah. So the fact that we had this incredible bounty of cheap fossil fuels which is the only way, let's be honest, that you can get on a plane. They're they're talking about trying to do solar power planes with right. batteries, and and if you understand the physics of it, you realize like, yeah, maybe you could do that for a very small light plane carrying you an know, Olympic a very, athlete, a small number of people, <laughs> you know, a small distance, yeah, short you, distance. You ever right? see? <laughs> yeah. You ever go to like an aviation museum and see one of the like pedal powered yeah. planes? Or it's like they got the wingspan right. is huge and it's made out of cellophane and you know. It's, it's, I mean, they are they are working on this technology, but there are limits to it. You're not going to get on a 747 <laughs> yeah. jumbo jet carrying batteries and get you know across the Atlantic, right? No, so, you can go you know small dis- short distances relatively, maybe. Yeah, and I don't even know if you could do that on a large plane carrying yeah. that many people, you know, right. but so it's completely built around access to, to this magical energy. And that, but now not only does tourism depend on it, a lot of business travel depend on it. We've, we've kind of built our culture around it in the sense that we, our families are far flung and we're constantly in a situation. I find myself in the situation all the time where, you know, like I mentioned, I, I, I flew all the way to Israel with my kids yeah. so that they could see where their grandfather lives. How do you say no to that? Oh, you it's know? a catch-22, isn't it? Yeah. I yeah. Know. I mean, the, the social pull to do that, especially with family. If you think about holiday times, I mean, right. it's, it's considered, yeah, you're supposed to get together. Yeah. You're supposed to go 
you, you know, typically I think in in our generation, it's like go back to the family home, wherever that was. Right. And now you, you, you might live like for, in my case, 3000 miles away from where that is. Yeah. And we had this, again, those of us with, with the privilege of having the opportunity to do this, had a lot of freedom to decide, oh, I want to live over on the other side of the country. Oh yeah. I remember I went to graduate school in St. Louis and my wife was in medical school in Vermont. And of course my family from California and it was just like, oh, I can get a good flight to see y'all, you know, yeah. <laughs> weekend at a time. And I and t- today it's even more extreme where students and their families fly all over the country to, you know, we're going to school different places. I'm kind of at the age now where I'm seeing this happen at undergrad level, right? And what are you going to do if your kid gets into some like nice East Coast school and they're from the West Coast and they want to experience another part of the country and... um but, what are you going to do? Tell them no because I, I, I uh, flying. And here, here we are. So we were talking about flight shaming and and recognizing the climate impacts of of air travel, these these other negative impacts. But even if we discarded those concerns, we ignored those. The fact that the airline industry, air travel, is completely dependent on this depleting non renewable resource, oil that is becoming harder and harder to to extract and more expensive to extract. We're going to have to figure out how to do things differently. And we have no real alternatives. No matter what people are t- telling us about biofuels or solar power planes Hy- or Hyperloops. Whatever. I know that's a favorite of yours. Right. Hyperloops. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Transporter beams. The magic beans are starting to look yeah, better and better. Yeah, the beans are looking great. <laughs> oh, you know, and I kind of think that this is sim- this extreme travel, the going the going around the other side of the globe, the other side of the country, it is just an, an extension, really, of the extreme travel that's in our daily lives, where we go marathon-level distances each day, most people, and we yeah. don't break a sweat. Right. And so it makes it reminds me of the car culture episode from season one. You know, another thing that uh, I know it's not politically expedient to talk about sacrifice, you know, that you uh-huh. get in trouble that way, but... I do think, you know, we'll lose something as we lose the the easy, cheap fuel, right? I mean, it's, like you said, a freedom of mobility. I could choose to live in Oregon rather than staying my whole life in, in Georgia, where I was born. And that's a privilege. Uh, you know, it used to be if, uh, if somebody had wanted to do that, even just a couple hundred years ago, oh. you know, the difficulties oh. of of making that choice. So, you know, you would basically be totally stripped away from everything you knew. Does anyone have family stories like that? You know, like go back to their grandparents or great grandparents. I, I do. I have a, I have a, a great grandmother from Italy and she and her family, part of her family from Southern Italy took a boat all the way to New York. And she was so seasick that she basically says, I am never getting on another boat again. We are now going to live in United States, in America. And <laughs> oh, so, so wait, this was supposed to be a tourist trip? Well, they weren't <laughs> sure. Like they weren't sure. They were oh, business really? owners in Italy, oh, and and they weren't they weren't committed. But essentially, so they hadn't packed up everything. Well, they, they, they once you enough. vomit four thousand times, <laughs> now you're committed. Yeah, but that kind of sealed the deal for well, like we're never going back. Yeah, I mean, my family, my father's family, all came from from Eastern Europe, and. They they never went back. Yeah, it was just too expensive and inconvenient. You know. Yeah, I mean my my great it was my great great grandmother. She went by boat, and then she actually went by another boat mm-hmm. <laughs> down and 
basically around South America Whoa. to go up to get basically to California. And that was a wow. rowboat, too. She was oh, yeah. sitting there with the oars. And- <laughs> you should have seen her arms, oh. man. She had guns. Yeah, it was incredible. They didn't show up well in those black and white photos, but they were there. Right. Yeah, it's incredible uh, how much privilege we have to be able to circulate the world and, and go where we want. And I think the key thing, you know, maybe to, to take away is is to recognize the novelty of that and in our vulnerability mm-hmm. to that going away and maybe yeah. make some, you know, give some thought to the choices that we're making. One is, is that trip necessary? And two, really think about where you're going to plant roots, you right. know, and where your family is and really have a, a long, I mean, I think all of us need to be having a long, hard conversation with ourselves about where, where we should be in terms of climate changes, Yeah, but also be thinking about it in terms of, Hey, if, uh, if you couldn't get on a plane all the time tomorrow, where would you want to be? And right. Where's your family? Where are the people yeah. that you love? Right. And start having some of those conversations about where you want to replant roots. Yeah. And then maybe just start taking some simple steps too, right? To just, like, I like that, to think about it and to have a conversation about what you would do, but then just start making your life as as uh, congruent with with what you come up with in those conversations. Yeah. But before you do... Just do one last trip to Disney World. It's, like, oh, it's the best. It's the, the best. Yeah. Especially if you uh, have a, you know, your niece is playing in a sports competition there. Right. Right. Or Ski Dubai. Hell yeah, Ski Dubai. My wife's second cousin's stepdaughter is in the <laughs> curling junior Olympics there this year. <laughs> Hey, to get more information or to stay updated whenever we put out a new episode, go to postcarm.org slash crazy town and make sure you sign up for our email list. Visitors to our website this time, you're going to get something good. You're going to get a carton of cigarettes with nicotine-free tobacco because they couldn't use it all for the biofuel in the in the greenwash. Yeah, not, not only that, but you're going to get a free baggage voucher for any airlines and... Unlimited bathroom pass. Wow. Does that, Can you get oxygen too? Yeah, I was going to say, we'll, we'll throw in an oxygen tank so yeah. you don't have to pay extra for that on some of those airlines. Sweet, sweet. Yeah. Uh, we're also offering a uh, free leg amputation so that you can fit in the seat and actually have a comfortable flight when you're headed to Disney World or Ski Dubai. Well, you... Those are two difficult destinations to go to without legs, so we <laughs> yeah. might have to think. We you, might have to think about. You're going to be too more. short for. Okay, the we're ride. also going to give you hand skis for Dubai. That's right, and we'll teach you how to do handstands. All this can be yours for going to postcarbon.org/slash/crazytown.